as a as a consumer of music, as a fan, when a band is sort of thrust at me in this fashion and wiggled in front of me like a severed head, then it it makes makes me hate them. You know, it makes me less sympathetic to whatever they're trying to do. Steve uh, has never-ending charisma. Wow. It's pretty simple. Steve flails about. So what are we doing? Just walk and talk. Steve Albini. He's one of the world's greatest producer recording engineers. Welcome to Earbuds and Earworms. I'm Amy Ain't No Albini Shepherd, and this is... Uh, Mitchell Manley Albini Baby. <laughs> Why are yours always so cute? I don't know. I'm just a cute fella. Um, yeah. I don't know if you saw that I, uh, someone on a Reddit AMA like back in 2012 posted a, a photoshopped image that they made of Steve Albini's face on a Beanie Baby. I did not see and, that. <laughs> but I yeah. feel like that's going to be the show picture Yeah, I, I put it in the thread, so okay. it'll be easy for you to find. Yay. But yes, it's, it's, an, uh, it's a Steve Albini Baby. It's a, it's a, oh, it's a Thai uh, Albini. Right, exactly. Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. That's just really adorable. Now, here's the thing. We both know I don't do much research mm-hmm. and that um, you kind of know the things about the musics. Most of the time, and yeah. And usually you, if you're going to, if somebody's going to know producers. Right, yeah. I mean, yeah. certainly between the two of us. <laughs> yes. I know Andy Warhol technically was right. a producer, but he wasn't really a producer for the Velvet Underground, so also that wasn't his main gig mm-hmm. at all. But who's Steve Albini? Why is he important? <laughs> okay, so Steve Albini, is a, he's a recording engineer based out of Chicago. He has a studio called Electrical Audio Studios, uh, and he's just one of the most unique, versatile, authentic engineers of our time. He's brilliant, innovative, uh, has like... I don't know. He every band in the world has recorded with him pretty much, and like uh, he has like a sliding scale for for people, uh, you know, for smaller bands that want to come and record with him. And he, uh, you know, he's he's just a brilliant dude. And uh, you know, other than the bands that we're going to be featuring here today, he's recorded Nirvana, The Pixies, Godspeed You Black Emperor, Cheap Trick, Joanna Newsom, Flogging Molly, Jawbreaker, Neurosis, and just like a hundred more. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, like as as we listen to the clips, uh, I want our listeners to try to pay attention to how everything sounds. You know what's loud and present, what sits more subtly in the mix, and try to like pay attention to the panning and layering and all the interesting tones that stand out. You know more so than any other week as you're listening. Try to try to pay attention to those sorts of things. Yeah, it's also our first time ever doing one officially with like that is focused on a single producer yeah you're right and and another cool thing that i just remembered i want to highlight about him is that he doesn't accept royalties on any of the stuff oh, that he, he does and so yeah he thinks it's immoral it's like the band they paid for his services and that's that's that and uh yeah so all this all this insanely popular stuff that he recorded he doesn't accept royalties on so i mean that's kind of a cool like diy ethos sort of thing that he he sticks to and yeah. i just think that's a really cool thing well i mean i know he has lots of opinions oh he's definitely a very <laughs> opinionated dude but yeah we'll get into that um sure. what did you bring this week i'm gonna start us off with his band shellac and their song watch song
So yeah, I figured a good place to start with this theme is one of Albini's own bands. You know, we've talked about Big Black a little bit recently, so I wanted to bring his other band, Shellac. Uh, Steve Albini is a really versatile uh, engineer, uh, but there are some trademark characteristics that turn up in a lot of his work, and he puts them all on full blast in recording his own band. Uh, the drums in this song are a great example of the way that Steve Albini mixes drums. They have a really tight and crisp sound from the microphones that are placed right, ab- you know, right above the drum heads, and that gives the drums like some power and some push. But he almost always mixes in a touch of like overhead microphones that catch like the natural reverb and airiness of the room, and that makes the drums just sound massive. So you get this really unique mix of dry close-up drums and cavernous reverberation that just makes them sound huge and aggressive. Uh, And another key to the Albini sound is having really punchy and present bass sounds. Uh, A lot of rock records are really guitar heavy, and so the bass just kind of serves as the background for guitars and vocals. Uh, But Albini seems to value the drums and the bass as the true foundation of a powerful rock song. Uh, In most shellac songs, the guitars take up most of the high end and serve more as texture than as like the primary element that's driving the song. And that leaves the drums and the bass to take up the majority of the mix, and it just makes his recording sound really commanding and aggressive, but without needing to like blow you away with a wall of sound it's all this like perfectly controlled chaos yeah that's that's how i mix our our show <laughs> yeah is, uh, all that intentional airiness and room sounds right and uh the buzz of the microphone right yes it's very that's all carefully <laughs> really, placed yeah um i mean it's intentional to have one bad mic right cord yeah, we, that we i don't know do which that. one it is right. <laughs> yeah i'll fix it eventually um i really do like this and i didn't really the clip is not you know the build-up right so there this the instruments get so much of so much time to shine really in this and it's just like them being all by themselves and like the vocals get really clear especially with all of the you know the very staccato situation going on and i understand what you're saying with the drums i i can't point it out because i don't know specifics of these things and (laughs) i don't listen to drums very often but it's all very like unique and cool um it's i guess I guess I've gotten more into understanding the production stuff because now I listen to so much music, even weekly, right. that I wouldn't have listened to before that I really like listening to just the engineering part of it because you can start to see how the mixes really do make a song shine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I I guess like it's it's got to be hard not to make stuff sound like mush. Yeah, yeah, definitely so. Like, if it wasn't just us having a conversation, I feel like I would make everything sound mushy. Sure. <laughs> so, I, I don't know. It's just... I look. I um. Whatever Steve Albini does, I think he does like a really great job of it. Even though I don't know specifically what he's doing. Yeah, I think and, yeah. I think with this song, we've kind of primed you for some of the things to look out for. So yeah, you'll, you'll hear it in the in the other songs. And there's so much stuff coming on, uh, coming up. So I brought Descartes a Kant until the day we die. That's what you'll be saying about your romantic love if these other things cause a breakup. 
I totally chose this initially because the band has a very philosophical name. Yeah, Descartes, I can't. Yeah, and I thought you would totally appreciate it. Uh, it ended up staying because it uses found sounds and it's also angry lady music, which I love <laughs> angry sure. lady music. Um, it, it really does show off how Albini does bring out what makes the band special too, because you've mentioned multiple times that he makes them sound as he thinks that they should sound live or as the band should sound in its purest form. So I don't know. It's just like every band he produces doesn't sound alike, like uh, the EDM producers make. Right. Yeah. Sound. So it's, yeah, it's me in my early 20s. Sure. Just like trying to hold myself together. It's being dramatic. And also, uh, I guess a lot of the jangly, frantic, and vocal forward stuff probably is the mixing. And I just think it's like a really neat ditty. Yeah, I uh, I agree wholeheartedly. It's a great example of how Albini kind of highlights what's great about each band that he records. Um, you know, this band has a lot of dynamic shifts from quiet to loud and spacious to very dense and chaotic. Uh, the vocals seem to be the only real constant in the song. All the other instrumentation is very frantic and fleeting. Nothing really stays the same for very long. Uh, their drummer is especially dynamic and creative and doesn't really play a straight rock beat for a single moment in the song. And and I think that's kind of part, part of what makes the song so interesting and unique and allows them to shift between all those different directions within a single song. And like you said, it's, it's a pretty monumental task to take all those disparate elements, both instrumentally and stylistically, and find a way to merge them into something cohesive, but still maintaining that sense of like chaos and panic. Right. And also the fact that like, you know, I think a lot of what we have from Albini and these selections mm -hmm. that were that are coming up is like very instrumental based. Right. And this is using like found audio. Yeah, it uses like found audio and Yeah, and, and it's like Yeah, just like piecing a lot of things together. It's really interesting. Yeah. I, I it's one of those things like I wish I was really good at like mixing stuff like that. Maybe I could learn something. Right. I know you know some peeps. I do know some peeps. You know some peeps who do the like mixing and stuff. I think you thought we wouldn't have a lot of submissions. I, I wasn't sure. You know, I knew that we had enough listeners to, you know, fill out our six required <laughs> slots. Yeah. But, you know, can they all pay attention on this week and, and take the time to submit this week? You know, but mm -hmm. uh, Charlie especially blew it out of the water <laughs> this week, which I appreciate. But, yeah, we got we got several great submissions. Right. And, you know, I had to do like research and stuff. Yeah, I appreciate that. And yeah. I appreciate the ear buddies that had to do a little research this week. Yeah. I know that. It's a, it's a little bit of extra work, but I think it's rewarding and it gives me the opportunity to like talk about something a bit more in depth and you guys be able to understand it and see where I'm coming from. Right. And I think that the way the show is made that normally we don't get into producers and how stuff's made, sure. but I think that this gives us like a chance to a, uh, Steve Albini, maybe like he's kind of a household name to some people. Oh yeah, absolutely. But also we did, I don't think we realized how important he was to like pretty much everybody's musical taste. Like just think of Nirvana. Oh yeah, for sure. Did he do the, he did the Pixie stuff He did too. the Pixie stuff. He did, um, the thing about the Nirvana, he did in in utero, which was like their fat last full length. Mm -hmm. And they ended up remixing some of the singles because the record company were being assholes. Oh. But the rest of the record is all Albini. I think he also does have like opinions about that too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> so, um, I, I'm just really excited about this. Frank brings Melt Bananas Six zip everywhere. Yeah. 
I think this has subliminal messages. Subliminal. Yeah. Subliminal. Subliminal. Because I want to eat 50 crystals. But that might be the music video. Right. I'm not sure. Uh, this is frantic and kind of crazy and uh, I'm pretty sure not in English. Unless I just it's very very little of it is, but yeah, they're a they're, they're a Japanese, Japanese band. Yeah, the sound of the strings being slid across, like you can feel the fingers. Yeah, and like there's something so very like abrasive. Visceral. And, yeah, yeah, it's like visceral. Like you feel like you're touching the instruments. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm coming to terms with the song. I need to listen to it like a few more times because it's really intense. But there's so much going on, and like as I said, like you can feel the instruments in the room, and like. On your fingers. Yeah, I think this is even a, a slightly accessible Melt Banana song for, <laughs> for what they normally do. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to be sure that we showed the full spectrum of, of Albini's work and abilities throughout the show. And we'll definitely get there. But since I highlighted some of those characteristic tricks from his own band earlier, I wanted to give another example of how those same ideas are implemented for another heavy band. Here again, the guitars are, are lots of high-end frequencies, noise, and texture rather than like leading the song. And, and instead, we have that same really punchy, mid-rangey bass sound that just sits dead in the middle of the mix and kind of operates as the eye of the insane storm of sounds happening around it. Uh, the drums aren't as present in the mix in this one, which gives it a bit noisier, grittier, kind of lo-fi kind of feel to it, as opposed to the really focused energy like the Schlack song. Uh, but we still, you know, we still hear that same technique of like mixing the close mic drums with the perfectly placed room mics and just makes the drums sound both cavernous and in your face. Uh, in varying degrees and capacities, you'll hear these same philosophies like implemented when he records bands like Neurosis and the Jesus Lizard. It's really interesting to to see how diverse a sound palette he can create for different bands while still holding those like Keystone techniques as his as his main gospel. And that bass does sound like so fat. Yeah, it's it's and very, like you can hear the the yeah, it's the punchy string, and just yeah. mid mid rangey and brutal sounding. Yeah, like it's um. I guess I wouldn't have thought of this as heavy because you think of like Lady Singers as not being like heavy, heavy, mm -hmm. and there's, it's not really like what what do you call it? The cookie, cookie Monster. monster vocals, yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I guess this is totally heavy because like you have so much like on that heavy part of the strings and right. just like it, you know, it's I don't know. I I think to make something sound this good while being lo-fi, right? It's yeah. magical. It's indeed absolutely amazing. Lauren brings the ponies another wound. Dark shadows remind us until just now how good the painting is yep. on this <laughs> um this is 
so clean sounding, but like from the 80s, but it's not. It's from 2010, I think. Yeah. And it it's so shiny and new, but has this like really cool aesthetic holding over from the 80s. I don't know if it's like lyrically thematic or maybe something synthy happening, but... I don't know. Could be reverb. Who knows? Chord <laughs> progression. Definitely some reverb. Yeah. Happened. So each song, uh, as said, like I'm really impressed with how unique each recording is, right. and I'm sure that whatever the mid range bass or something with the drums, close yeah. mic'd. <laughs> yeah. So so here we see uh, uh, a slightly different vision, but he still holds true to that certain sensibility. Uh, unlike Shellac and Melt Banana. Uh, this song is driven much more clearly by the guitars and vocals, but even in giving those parts their proper spotlight in the mix, he still makes maximum use of that separation and sonic space to kind of let the energy of the song ebb and flow appropriately. Uh, the guitars have that shimmery 12-string high-octave thing happening, uh, which kind of puts him in that high-end space again, and the drums are still much more focused and powerful than you might expect in something that's a bit more poppy like this. And, you know, it kind of helps keep a firm anchor in the low end when the guitars and the vocals kind of soar around all blissfully. And although we don't have that super punchy upfront bass sound in this one, you'll notice that he still keeps that open space between the main guitars and the drums and, like, lets the bass and those meteor guitars speak, you know, sneak in occasionally to kind of escalate the energy. You were talking about the panning. Those second guitars kind of come in halfway through. Mm -hmm. uh, really cool sounding. And, you know, and then when everything drifts back out, you're still left fully grounded in that drum groove while the guitars and vocals take you for a ride. Uh, I hadn't listened to this band before, but it's got a very rad, like the cure echo and the bunny man kind of sound. So definitely going to dig deeper on this one. So in shellac, what did Steve Albini play? He played guitar and uh, did a lot of the vocals. Although I, I guess every member of that band ended up doing vocals, but he played <laughs> guitar. Well, I, I like listened to some interview where there's like Todd and Joe and Steve. Right. Right. See, I learned yeah, something. You, you got it. Yeah. Um, but like he was talking about how I think Joe was the front man. I know uh, on this album, he says something about Joe started doing some singing. Uh-huh. And the, Joe, I believe, is their drummer. Okay. I was wondering. I think. Like, I wonder if like maybe his personal affinity for drumming, like was why he mixed the drums like yeah, that. Yeah, could be. But if I'm, I'm, I'm sure he plays drums and like, yeah, definitely... He, he is one of the best at getting incredible drum sounds. Okay. I wouldn't have thought that. I, I totally was going to nail him as a drummer, but I don't know. Uh, Joshua T. brings PJ Harvey's Rid of Me. Yeah, you rid of me. I'll make you lick my injuries. I'm going to twist your head of Till you say, don't you wish you I always feel like a dingus for missing the PJ Harvey train. And this is another example of me wishing I hadn't been a dingus. <laughs> uh, you know, all that angry lady music that I love. Why in the world would I miss this? I 
don't understand. Um, the highlights of this is like the loud and soft of it. Cause mm-hmm. I, sometimes we get submissions where everything's like super, super quiet and it's just like the recording or whatever, you know, version of it was you know, uploaded right, yeah. quietly. And, uh, so I did turn it up on my computer <laughs> and then got absolutely blast blasted yeah. away. So, um, sorry for your ears when you guys started <laughs> to turn it up. It just, uh, it's what going to happen. And, yeah, it's just really, really genius. I really should have not missed the PJ Harvey train. Also, really, really sexy song. Just saying. It, it is a very sexy yeah. song. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, I'm all about some PJ Harvey, and this song is a brilliant example of both her talent for songwriting as well as Albini's masterful production. Uh, this is the title track of her album, Rid of Me, and it's also the album opener as well. And that's especially important because the dynamics of the song sort of set a precedent for the rest of the album. The song starts very quiet, uh, so quiet that I might have otherwise thought that this was just a poor rip from the CD, <laughs> like you said. Uh, but it's actually intentional because it makes you turn up the volume a little bit extra. And then three minutes into this like four and a half minute song, after you've been lulled into the quiet, seething frustration of this song, the music kicks in full force with those massive Albini drums just pummeling you in the face and with the really weird exasperated wailing in the background vocals makes it even more like haunting and goosebump inducing and then now that the stereo is cranked the rest of the record just like revels in very careful and deliberate use of dynamic and volume shifts uh, it's a brilliant subtlety that just like shows shows that little bit of extra attention that that albini pays in like crafting a cohesive album rather than just discrete songs that sound good uh i didn't hear what Albini's opinion is on the fact that we have streaming culture and people just pick and choose their songs. Now. He's actually super on board for that because it it puts the music in more people's hands, and mm-hmm. you know he 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 thinks that piracy. You know, if if you think of it as a bad thing, you're probably thinking of it the wrong way because it gets music into you know third world countries or like you know poor countries where they may not have access to the underground stuff. All they gets the the radio crap that's fed to them and. Yeah. You know, like you said, it's it it increases a lot of the live music, you know, people coming out to see bands because you're hearing about all these new bands. And, you know, whenever some obscure band comes to the high tone that you've never heard of before, you know, they're not going to have a whole lot of people at their show. But now with streaming culture, people can look up a band and be like, OK, this sounds like something I want to go see. And then they go and see the band, you know. Yeah. And I, I mean, I guess I listened to the same interview twice, but like his opinion of publicity and he hates like stuff being shoved into his face. Right. Yeah. Because he's like, people need to see the music they actually want to see and not just what's like waggling in front of you. I yeah, believe exactly. what he said was like a head on a pike or something like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think that's a good image. That sounds Steve Al- Albini-esque. Yeah. So I, um, I guess that makes sense because people can look up genres and come across bands that they haven't heard of yeah. before and then get more exposure to it mm-hmm. as opposed to listening to the radio, which mostly is pub- publicist and right. Like it puts the power back in the, in the hands of the musicians and, and the and audience. The, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> Back onto track, uh, Lum brings us Pez's new math.
Mom says all of the best Memphis music has some grime to it, whether it's Three Six Mafia or Tragedy. Pez is no different, making grimy ass pop punk in the best ways possible. Recorded uh, by Albini in '99, I have no idea if it's a showcase for his particular brand minimalism, but it's near perfect pop punk. This is the distillation of what I think of as pop punk. Granted, I'm not good with genres. Just sure. Just, uh, yeah. Uh, it's very youthful. And what is pretty different is that most of the other songs on this list make it sound super clear and everything gets isolated. But Albini, I think this one gets like a little messy. Yeah. But I think that's like, uh, like Lum says, it, it's got that Memphis grime going on. And I don't know if that's because he like kind of maybe the band pushed for that. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah I, I have a penchant for even the most poppy pop punk, but this is definitely what true blue punky pop punk should sound like, you know? <laughs> uh, the song's very catchy and grungy, lots of major key tonality and really earwormy vocals. Uh, this is definitely not Albini at his most minimal, but it's definitely a brilliant change of pace, and he shows that he can easily deliver that huge wall of sound style production. But instead of doing it for a heavy band like you might expect, he does it for this anthemic pop punk band and makes their sound fully immersive. And with the really raw instrumentation integrated into this very polished wall of sound, you kind of get the best of both worlds in a pop punk record that sounds fully punk, but with the perfect pop atmospheric. So it's just kind of brilliant, you know. So he didn't really go in on that wall of sound thing, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, he, he does like to keep things really punchy and spacey and he likes uh, a good amount of kind of sonic isolation, like you said. But yeah. uh, sometimes it calls for cramming it all in there. Well, when you think about it, like he's giving you room, mm-hmm. uh, essentially like a room. You get the feel for a room in uh, most of his recordings, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I'm wondering if like he was going for more of like a grimy basement sound. Yeah, that's actually a really great point. You know, one of, one of the things he does is he's known for just like putting microphones in weird spots, like up in the corner of a room or down on the floor yeah. and just weird spots everywhere to actually get that room sound. And so I think you might be onto something that he's trying to capture like- that sort of basement punk show diy vibe it's old hickory collective in a in a right yeah Yeah. exactly yeah so i i think that's that's what i get from this like yeah i think you're onto something yeah because i don't know how many shows i went to the old hickory collective but it does have like that wall of sound like everything kind of closed in together yeah and, mostly because the, there's no soundproofing right and the, and the idea of pop punk is a lot of like sing-alongy anthemic parts and so it kind of makes you feel like you're in a room with a lot of people singing along to the song and fist pumping you yeah know? and there's no space for you to yeah exactly hide. everybody's elbow to elbow right and, and sweating on each other yeah. it's gross it's really gross y'all but it's fine it's it, it's totally fine uh, justin brings shadowy men on a shadowy planet honey you're wasting
Justin says, mostly known for the theme to Kids in the Hall, Shadowy Men from a Shadowy Planet put out an Albini-produced album in 1993. Mostly country, western-inspired surf rock, but this stands out as one of the more punk tracks on the album. I don't know if it's that punk. I'm just, I don't know. Uh, what I like about Albini is that he doesn't have to be specifically punk, while most of, uh, mostly we get to... I guess we've mostly talked about punk stuff or like pre- previous to this episode, we sure. talked about his like punky type of influence. And um, it, this doesn't feel punk to me. This definitely feels surfer rock, not right. country Western, but definitely surfer rock. It's the surfery guitar sounding super surfery and the drums are being all drummy. And <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I, just... yeah, I think the, the first of the clip that you, that you chose the very first part, I think is like kind of more grimy and punky. I think it's got a little a li- vibe. Yeah. Like, but there's definitely some super surfery. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yet again, we find that punchy raucous bass tone, colossal drums getting used to their maximum potential. Uh, since this song doesn't have vocals, uh, the guitars are your vocal element, and the rhythmic section, you know, the rhythm section has to do all that heavy lifting, not only keeping that firm foundation for the guitars to lay over, but beca- because the guitars have to have some space to breathe and, and really tell the story, the drums and bass have to also be punchy and interesting all on their own, so you don't lose momentum when they're, whenever the guitars are kind of taking a break. Uh, and you would think surf rock would be fairly straightforward to put to record, but you know, surf rock's a really unique genre in that it's like very active and actiony style of music, but it's also very chill and beachy, got the sunshiny vibe thing and kind of marrying those two sensibilities. is hard enough for the band themselves, like when they write and perform, but in recording, it takes careful consideration to make sure that your final project has that energy and, and the momentum that it needs while still keeping that characteristic laid back mood. Uh, and of course, Albini's production threads that needle in a way that kind of sets Shadowy Men apart from other surfy bands. Uh, they've got that perfect vibe for the genre, but also they're kind of a little bit heavier, a, a bit more of a punk aesthetic to their tones that kind of makes them sound unique among their peers. Um, one of the things that made Surfer Rock sound so surfery was specifically the, uh, I guess, the mixing board. Right, right. That and the usually what's most obvious in any good surf rock mm-hmm. song is the guitars are clean and just drenched in reverb, just <laughs> okay. swimming in reverb, swimming in reverb. Yeah, but that's that's and and the drums and the bass will be a bit more laid back, and then you got sparse guitars that are just swimming in reverb. Is there oceans like, of reverb? Is there like an oceans of reverb pedal? There probably is something like that. It's probably called Ocean Waves. Yeah, or something, something like that. Something crazy like that. Or or Surfer Dude. I don't know. I always like the art for these like uh these pedals. Yeah, there's there's some cool artwork on a lot of guitar pedals for sure. I know that whenever I used to go to PM Music and they always had like all of these uh pedals, you know, in the case mm-hmm. on display on top of their boxes. Yeah. I always wanted pedals just because they look like they candy. They look cool, yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> they are kinda like candy. Yeah. All colorful and like, ooh, neat. And then you can like all hook them all together, right? Mm-hmm. And then you just push buttons with your feet. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So it makes does. you feel cool. Yeah, Ben does that. Yeah, Absolutely. I know that he's like has a lot of stuff going on whenever he's making stuff. So, um, also I love following his uh, promotions of his. Oh interests. God, I love Ben Ricketts so much. <laughs> he's so hilarious. He's so good at it. Um, our final one, I believe you definitely did pay off Charlie. I know that they, he submitted a lot of things, but you paid him off because he brought Lowe's Sunflower.
mic'd drums definitely okay so that's what kind of gives it like it sounds far away but also close yes exactly okay and that uh, snare drum just <laughs> loud as hell the whole time i love it that song is so good <laughs> i always think of you as a drummer because that's what you played sure yeah whenever i uh you know whenever i first saw you you had a drum kit yeah so and i i mean i know that you do more guitar-y things now sure yeah but i always think of like i was thinking of you with like the um the snare yeah yeah just beating the crap out of it i think you explained to me that the snare is actually the little coily things on the bottom right exactly yeah so i yeah i think it's it's so fun and so this is so pretty for punk <laughs> it's just so pretty low is so punk that they don't sound punk the instruments yeah. just like shine through there's just so much purity in everything that's happening here like it's so pure it's just doesn't it just make you just feel good inside oh man you have no idea this is why you paid off charlie yeah of course yeah i may have to do a bonus episode with charlie because he just posted so much gold this week uh, i think he probably covered like a third of albini's discography uh so many great bands and a lot of them had you know really brilliant characteristic examples of why albini is such a great engineer but since i could only choose one from charlie's list i had to bring one closest to my heart y'all know how much i love low <laughs> this also happens to be an especially meaningful low song to me and i have some like really beautiful memories associated with this song and all that kind of cheesy crap and i think so much of why it's so special is that production. You know, Lowe was traditionally a quiet and introspective band up until this point, and this album saw, saw them kind of slowly blooming into something more complex. Uh, Mimi Parker, their drummer, and the gorgeous female voice that you hear, uh, had usually played just a ride cymbal and a snare, and played them primarily with wire brushes, you know, keeping things really quiet and unobtrusive. And on this album, you see her like making much more use of the dynamic space, uh, using like felt mallets on the drums, which still dials back the thrash of the drums, but makes for a much more like drastic snap on the snare drum, uh, which she uses to build intensity and give the song a really forceful trudge ahead, uh, contrasting with the very wistful and melancholic lyrics and the chord progression. Uh, Albini's iconic drum sounds just helped push her drums from. Uh, being a mere rhythmic element into a full-ranged, three-dimensional representation of what her drumming style could really bring to the intensity of their previously slow and pensive music. And it kind of set a precedent for evolution and experimentation that kind of shaped every low record going forward and, and has kind of kept them in the game for nearly 30 years now. So 30 years? Yeah, they've been around for a while. I think their first record was 94. So Okay, that's not quite... It's Start. 26 years. So okay. Give me the, St give me stop the aging up. us. <laughs> give me the roundup. I was like, don't say 1990. That makes him a little younger than we right, are. Yeah. But like, come on. I don't, I'm not. So 26 years, not 30 years. Yeah. Like, I mean, that's Give like, us those four years yeah, back. Yeah. I mean, that gives us like nearly a decade. Sure. Sure. I mean, me nearly a decade. You're, <laughs> you're a young spry chicken here. Yeah, indeed. Uh, what? You're born 86? 87. <laughs> Just right into my soul. Uh, just a, just a, a young boy. Just a young boy. Ouch. Just a boy. Uh, <laughs> gross. 
Sorry. <laughs> um, you can, if you have any more to add to this, because of course, like I need to learn more about Steve Albini because I feel like we that, all need to learn more about. Yeah, Steve Albini. like he seems like a magical, uh, snarky asshole of uh, yeah. an engineer. Um, you can tweet at us. I'm at Pow I Gotcha, and I'm at Madam Mullet, and the show is at Andy Pod. Come and join the fun on Facebook. No, just just. Be okay with our corporate overlord. Right. Um, it's Earbuzz and Earworms podcast group, and the voicemail line is 731-400-BUDS or 731-400-2837. You can always email the show, andypod at gmail.com, especially if you have like a long thing of like your your love of Albini. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I think maybe Charlie should call in yeah. and, and explain why he knows so so many great Albini songs. Every one that he posted was just like he, he's the he's the teacher's pet for this week. I'm gonna admit. Isn't he always like the teacher's pet though? I mean, kind of, sort of. He's yeah. he's got that direct line into into the things that I love so very much. <laughs> and um, <laughs> it's like I, I'm now just imagining the teacher's pet character. Right. Yeah, I love that. Sorry. Uh, Show uh, the show website's endpod.com. It's uh, I'm getting used to it. I want uh, to apologize to everyone that I didn't post any audio to the podcast feed, <laughs> such as I posted it. I remember posting it until yeah. you're like, Hey, anybody else having issues? And I went and looked, and it like has it tagged as no audio file. I was Whoopsie. like, Whoopsie, dang it. I we guess, got it fixed though. Uh, yeah, I did get it fixed. Like once I realized and actually looked at my phone, and I, I mean, I napped for like two hours, but then I fixed it. Sure. So, what's our final song for this week? All right, I'm gonna leave us with a band called McCluskey and their song "To Hell with Good Intentions." Uh, this is one final demonstration of that signature Albini sound: huge crushing bass sounds, colossal drums, lots of grime and weird noisy bits. Uh, very raw but high powered. Uh, the vocals for this one are also just super fun and catchy for a noise rock band. And the lyrics are almost a anything you can do, I can do better type of thing. Uh, they say their band is better than your band and their dad is bigger than your dad. Uh, but they contrast it with this line, my love is bigger than your love, uh, which kind of leaves you wondering, like, what if we were as competitive with like love and support as we are with trying to prove ourselves as like superior to someone else? You know, that's, that's a nice message and all, but the real highlights here are these grimy riffs. So uh, put on your, your new Albini listening ears and enjoy To Hell With Good Intentions by McCluskey.
thought that his opinion was fact, always. All the pomp and circumstance that surrounds music and rock stars could give less than a shit about. I'm sure that everybody in town wanted to kick that guy's ass at these ones. The music we make is intended for a select audience, you know, people who will appreciate it, and other people shouldn't try. <laughs> Stop.